0: entrepreneur on fire episode 261
1: fire 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 fire
0: today's most inspiring entrepreneurs delivered straight to you seven days a week this is entrepreneur on fire fire here is your host who is always always prepared to ignite john lee dumas entrepreneur on fire 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 Nation. Are you an aspiring or new entrepreneur who's looking for a community of like-minded individuals who can offer support, tools, resources, and advice as you start your entrepreneurial journey? Fire Nation Elite is here to provide you with just that. 100% support, 100% of the time. Visit FireNationElite.com to fill out your application and schedule a 15-minute one-on-one chat with me today. Okay, Fire Nation, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Paul Colligan. Paul, are you prepared to ignite? Man, you bet I am. (laughs) All right, Paul. Let's do this. Paul helps others leverage technology to improve themselves and broaden their audience with reduced stress and no drama. He does this with a lifestyle and business designed to answer the challenges and opportunities of this new economy. Given Fire Nation just a little overview, Paul, but take a minute. Tell us about you personally. We want to get to know you. And then tell us about your business.
1: You know, right after getting a college degree in political science, which I haven't used since, I realized something about myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I realized that I'm bilingual. Um, I speak two languages. I speak tech and I speak business. Ooh. And those two languages do not, are not always spoken by the same person. So True. And I actually started in a biomedical firm, pre-internet, that had all these requirements dealing with the FDA and there was management upstairs in the big room with the wood table and there were the programmers downstairs with their, you know, big gulps and, you know, potato chip bags. And these guys wouldn't talk to each other. No, it wasn't that they wouldn't, they couldn't talk to each other. And, And I realized I spoke both languages. And so what I did was I I built myself a job there of just going back and forth and helping the company to success. And then what happened was the internet popped up and I realized I spoke both languages. And everything I've done has been some version of leveraging my ability to speak both tech and business at the same time. Now, I love tech. I love what it affords. You know, I am in my home office, in my basement, wearing shorts and a t-shirt doing this right yes, now. Yes, me too. You know, I just I just ran an errand where I had lunch at my favorite place, and and just, you know, I, I love this and I love what it affords. You know, I, I have friends who are um who believe they're stuck in these old traditional models and, and these old traditional ways of doing things. And and so, you know, gosh, figure this out. I can make a living translating the opportunities that are there. So you know, that's the mission statement you read. Help others leverage tech, improve themselves, broaden their audience. You know, but the key thing is reduce stress and no dramas. You know, a lot of people are killing themselves broadening their audience. You know, or a lot of people are, are you know, divorcing their wives because they have no time for them anymore. Right. Or, you know, you know, they're having these tremendous stresses associated with this new world. And it's just, it, it's ridiculous. It's almost painful. You know, it's, it's almost morally bankrupt to not embrace what we have in front of us. And so I make a living doing that. And it's pretty awesome.
0: Well, Paul, congratulations on breaking out of that mold and embracing the lifestyle that you now live. I mean, I am just so happy to be in that same boat as you, and it's a great place to be. And I really am looking forward to delving in even deeper to how you help other people do that. But before we do, we love starting Entrepreneur on Fire off with a success quote, with a mantra to get that motivational ball rolling. So take it away.
1: Let's do this. Okay. So um, grandma, uh, it comes from grandma. Right. She, she looked at me once straight in the eye and she said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I did not realize the wisdom of that until about 10 years ago. Um, you know, the, the internet and this new economy and this new age offers us about 8,000 opportunities. Yeah. And the entrepreneur especially, we grab at all of them. You know, grab, 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 take it, take it, file it away, you you know, put in a box, put in the basement, do all these things. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Tech can be distracting. Modern life can be distracting. And so what we have to do is we have to ask, should we be doing this versus can I be doing this? And that. Every time I ask that question, it leads me down the right path. And and vice versa, every time I don't ask that question, mm-hmm. it usually leads me down, you know, a week, a month, a year of of just uh, distraction, which just isn't necessary anymore.
0: I love that. 8,000 things we could be doing. And I always refer to that to Fire Nation as the bright, shiny object syndrome. We're just oh, always looking to chase that next new thing, whatever it may be. And man, it's a great quote. We will definitely attribute it to your grandmother in the show notes, Paul. So let's continue moving forward. Entrepreneur on Fire, it's a spotlight of you, our guest, in your journey as a whole. We want to hear about the ups and the downs and the failures and the successes, but let's start back at a time during your journey when you did fail or when you faced a massive challenge or obstacle. And how'd you overcome that, Paul?
1: I've been blessed enough. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs have these you know stories where they were homeless for six months, and you know they were selling their plasma to pay for their internet bill. And you know I, I don't have any of those ultra dramatic stories. But the flip side, uh, there were a lot of times when, as an entrepreneur, my task was paying this month's bills. You know, and when you're paying this month's bills as an entrepreneur it's an entirely different focus than when you're paying next year's bills right or when you're putting away the money for the future and 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 what happens is honestly i know very few circumstances when being an entrepreneur and taking all these opportunities and taking all these things but having to go yeah but which one's going to pay me in 4 days so i can meet rent you know and and you know what happened was i spent several probably a year or two of my life in in that mode and and that A makes you question entrepreneurialism and B really gets to you because you you see, you know, I could spend my time on this today that's going to build out 2010 in ways never before possible, or I can pay the rent. And if your focus is paying the rent, (laughs) you you know, you know, that, that's where you're going to go. And so my, my biggest challenge was realizing that, you know, maybe I just go get a side job to pay the bills so that I can focus on 2010. Focus on 2020, focus on 2030. You know, and what happened was there's this idea that like if you have a side job or a side gig or something you're doing that your are a failure as an entrepreneur, no, it's it's just a tool. Jobs are just tools. You know, just like your, your laptop, your iPad, your iPhone. You know, I, I realized if I go out, pay the bills, get some health insurance, do these things, even though I might only have 10 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours left to focus on the future, I can focus entirely on the future. And so my biggest distraction was was that, you know, and my biggest problem was that I've pretty much been an entrepreneur since day one, you know, collected several paychecks between here and there, but always been an entrepreneur, you know, because of that realization. And um, I'll tell you, boy, if you get up in the morning and you know that this year is paid for, it changes your mindset, it changes your focus, it changes your attention. So that's probably the biggest you know failure if if you would you know i mean and it's just been it's been i don't want to say it's been easy but it's been good you know and it just hasn't been that complicated and and that's just the, the one part i want to kind of maybe bring to this dialogue and conversation
0: no it's powerful and it's such a valuable lesson on so many levels cuz as entrepreneurs we're always wanting in a perfect world to be planting those seeds that are going to be blooming in the future. If we're having to always focus on the present, on the now, on that next mortgage payment, we're not able to plant those seeds because we're going to have to harvest them before they even break through the surface. So I definitely get that analogy, Paul. I think it's really powerful to know. And it's something that I talk about here at Entrepreneur on Fire. When I get emails every single day from people, they say, John, I have this idea. I want to launch into it, but I have all these bills. And I say, listen, Being an entrepreneur doesn't mean you just blindly leap into everything. Exactly. exactly. You you have this powerful job right now. Stay with it. It's paying the bills. Wake up 30 minutes earlier. Go to bed 30 minutes later. Use that time.
1: Yep. I was working in an office in downtown Portland and, and you know I everything I was doing was about paying the bills this month. Now it was a great office, it was a great company, it was a great business, we were doing well, we were growing all the things, you know, in your business one oh one books, but my focus was paying the bills that month. And I realized that, you know, literally three blocks away was the entire tech support for all of US bank online banking. Their whole call center was there. And I said, well, hey, I want to figure out this online e-commerce thing. I want to figure out this digital sales thing. So three shifts a week, I went, walked a couple of blocks, went up to the US bank building and did tech support. You know, and I was able to leverage that to learn a lot. You know, and you can do that. Boy, you want to learn you wanna learn customer service, get a gig, get Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, you want to learn the mistakes people make, get a gig at technical support. You know, you can get a paying gig that will assist you on the higher level. You know, I'm not saying everybody has to either build a business or scrape toilets. You know, there's something between here and there.
0: Right. So, Paul, if you could boil it down just to one sentence, a clear lesson that you learned from this entire topic that we're talking about, what would that be?
1: It doesn't have to look like what everybody else thinks it has to look like. It just has to work.
0: Yeah, powerful. So, Paul, let's move forward now. Let's continue going forward down your entrepreneurial journey. You share with us struggles and failures and obstacles that you face that every entrepreneur faces on so many levels. Share with us the other end of the spectrum, that aha moment when that light bulb went off and you really realized you had something special that you wanted to just pour yourself into. And how did you turn that idea, that aha moment into success?
1: So I was working for an internet service provider um, that had an office in Bellevue. Uh, they were in the same building as a, as a software company. I can't say what software company they were, but they were a micro software company, To get it. my drift. <laughs> and what we did was we found the ability to partner with this micro software company. They had a piece of software that they wanted to sell. We had a hosting service that complemented that software. When this company would get up and say our software was cool, well, of course they'd say that. They're the company. They own it. But when a third party would get up and say this company is cool, this software product is cool, the game changed. And so we formed this partnership, and it was win-win. And partnerships have to be win-win or else – you know, you know, if they're not win-win, then, then people immediately start figuring out how to get out. It had to be absolutely everybody felt like they were getting the best. But what happened was instantly, you know, within two weeks of, of this partnership, you know, I was being put in front of thousands of people uh, talking about this software program. And I got to do Comdex and I got to do, you know, and and over the course of one, one Comdex weekend, I was in front of 7,000 people. Oh, man. Now, check this out. I got the reviews from all 7,000 of those people. And most of them included an email address. And most of them said, where can I get more info and more training? And the great thing was, I thought I had the greatest deal in the world. This software company felt like they had the greatest deal in the world. And, and, and it was partnerships. And everything I've done since then has been some derivative of that partnership. You know, you know, people would say, you're selling out to the man. No, I'm not. I'm partnering with the man, which is pretty cool. You know, and and when I got that day job, you, you know, working, you know, working technical support, so I could figure out these things and pay the bills. You know, it doesn't have to look like what everybody else has to think it looks like. So, I have been since then partnerships. I've done several partnerships with that micro software company, and I've done partnerships with other companies, and and I continue to do those because, well, I'll tell you, as an entrepreneur, I, I don't like bookkeeping. Right. You know, you know, I don't like hiring a janitorial staff. I, I don't like, oh, my God, the one I hate the most is HR. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and um, when I had that company when I was doing the tech support, you know, it was a company of four, and they were three of my friends. So, you know, but yet still somehow 25% of my life was doing HR, which I hated for people that I liked, which I just realized, okay – we got to stop this. Um, you know, we got to get out of this. So ever since then, it's just been strategic partnerships that don't necessarily look like what everybody thinks they look like, but they've been really, really, really powerful for me. And, and, and that aha moment has been the cornerstone of everything I've done. I don't, I don't want to do it by myself. I don't need to do it by myself. We're a connected world. I've had partners in other countries. I've had partners in other states, you know, and I've had partners a- across the city. And, um, that, that aha moment really just changed the game for me because a lot of entrepreneurs think we have to do it all. You don't. Partner with somebody who does it all.
0: So Paul, let's break this down a little further because I was really intrigued when you were talking about these thousands and thousands of email addresses that you were collecting and these people that were requesting further education. This is all-
1: John, John, they were handed to me. I was not not collecting them. (laughs) A person with the shirt said, hey, Paul, here they are and gave them to me.
0: I mean, that's phenomenal. That just gets somebody like me just super excited. My head's spinning right now. So share with Fire Nation, what did you do with that information post?
1: I sent them all an email that said, would you like to be on the email list? Yeah. And a lot of them said yes. And from there, you know, the business was built. And then once, I mean, I knew, I knew the software in and out. I was being paid to go around the world teaching the software. I found out what the biggest needs were for the software. So I built a website around this software. I wrote several, boy, anybody now with Google can figure out what we're talking about. Oh, but yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, websites about this software, tools about this software, books about this software. Now, here's the interesting thing. This Microsoftware company killed the product in 2003 killed the dead DOA gone. And my business didn't skip a beat. Wow. Because here's the thing. I had a list of people who had needs, who had requirements that this software happened to fulfill. And even though the software got killed, their needs didn't go away. So their true. requirements didn't go away. So they started looking to me for what do we do now that the software is being killed? Now, some, you know how it is. Some people are still using the software. Um, I, I still get a royalty check from one of the books that I wrote. Um, <laughs> this thing, even though it's been dead for over ten years now, and um, you know, so some stuck around, and and my tools there. I actually have a private label of a of a software a service that I get a still get a four figure check from every month. Mm. Um, you know, even though the software's been dead for ten years, but but the majority of my of my industry is just that they went with me. You know, they came with me because I had a list, I had a tribe, I had an audience. I don't care what you want to call it. You know, I just had people who wanted what I had to offer, so I gave it to them.
0: So, Paul, I love this aha moment, and I love how you just took action upon it. That's the most powerful thing. Let's boil this down to one clear lesson that you learned from that experience.
1: I'm doing all this work. I'm getting all these connections. And they asked me to tech review one of the books. And I started to review the book, and I did the tech review, and then I gave the quote. And then they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, well, the company that I was from wouldn't make sense and the company that I was moving into wouldn't necessarily make sense. So I bought a domain name for the purpose of being the footer on the review that was going to be on the front cover of the book. Oh. And so even though I didn't write the book, even though I didn't do anything, even though, go, uh, though I got paid quite handsomely to tech review the book, on the front cover of this book for dummies, the front cover, John, was my website because that was the title that I gave myself for that review. Right. Wow. So then bookstores all over the world were 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 advertising my my uh, website. And then I leveraged that. Uh, three years later, they wanted me to write a book. And I, at that point, it wasn't worth it for me. Um, just, just with where things were financially, I, I could have done things better. And they're like, well, what would it take you to make it worth it? I said, well, I want my logo on the front cover. Mm. You know, this is a Pearson. These are those big, fat, blue Pearson books that are about 1,200 pages long. You you know, and they go, we've never put the logo on. We've never, ever, ever put anybody else's logo on the front but ours. I go, we'll find that. I don't need to write the book. And they said, okay. And they put (laughs) my logo on the book. And um, and so, you know, I had people in Costco, you know, who were looking at the cover of the book. I didn't know there was a website dedicated to this product. I'm going to go check it out.
0: Wow. So, Paul, have you had an I've made it moment?
1: Yes. I've I've had plenty. You know, you asked. I've been listening to the show, and I'm trying oh, to which one should you. I talk about? And <laughs> I got to do an event in Australia, and that was fun, and and, and, and that wasn't the I made it moment. Um, what was interesting was, you know, I grew up in Germany. My folks worked for the U.S. military, and yeah. when, you grow up in, when you grow up in the 80s next to the uh, Berlin Wall, that might explain my political science degree. <laughs> and um, so I, I knew what international travel was like, and I know how hard it is and how rigorous it is, and, you know, I was prepared for it. And so I get on a plane for this trip to Australia and the first thing that happened that hadn't happened before was, you know, I get escorted to, to, to first class, which is awesome. Yeah. And but I was still prepared for, you know, the rigors of, of travel so that the plane takes off and then they brought me a steak and, and they brought me a good steak. And they brought me real silverware to eat the steak with and they brought me wine that wasn't in a plastic cup to eat with to drink with the steak. You know, and I had I had a great meal, and then I flipped on the monitor and there was a movie I hadn't seen yet. So I watched the movie on demand that I hadn't seen yet. And then I said, Well, I'll try to sleep, which you know, I know in international travel is next to impossible. Yep. Well, you know what? A good steak in your stomach, a couple of glasses <laughs> of red wine, and a seat that reclines all the way back. I slept for nine hours.
0: Nine hours. That's heaven.
1: I said, for nine hours, I wake up, it's about three hours before we land, I open my laptop, awake, you know, I'm not feeling like I want to die, I open my laptop, I finished my presentation, and I landed in Australia, refreshed, with all my work done. I didn't feel like I wanted to die, which is normally what happens in international travel, <laughs> and, and, and what I realized was um, – it was, I've done this before, not Australia. You know, I've, I've traveled internationally before. I've done it, you know, dozens of times. But thinking smart and understanding the value of getting me there refreshed was, and getting me there with full energy, you know, realizing that was w- was interesting and powerful. So, I was talking to the promoter, and, and, and I asked him, you know I, 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 you know, I said, wow, you know, you, you must have spent a lot on that ticket. He said, yeah, yeah, it was $12,000. <laughs> Whoa. You know, I'm like, exactly, my exact response, you know, and and, and he said, Paul, well, you arrived fine. You didn't arrive like you wanted to kill yourself, you know, know, and Paul, it was worth every dollar. I'm like, okay, if a guy in Australia realizes spending 12K just to make my trip more pleasant because me arriving prepared, if he realizes I'm worth that, why don't I? Boom. You know, and if somebody else is going to pay for it, A, I made it, but B, it was a major change in my business. It's like, okay, I got to spend the money to do this right. <laughs>
0: Wow, I love that I've made a moment for so many reasons, Paul, and I want to use it to transition also to your journey, because we talked about that briefly at the beginning about you're in shorts, and a t-shirt, in your basement, in your own house, you had lunch at your favorite restaurant today, I mean, your this life that you've afforded yourself is amazing, so are you enjoying the journey? I'm loving the journey, and,
1: <laughs> and you know, the journey is it, man, you know, you don't, you know, people like to talk about their cars. You know, right. I got this car, I got this car. You know, to me, John, success is how little time I spend in the car. You know, to me, success is when is when the um, um, when the dealer calls and says it's time for an oil change, and and you go, no, it's not. I haven't driven two thousand miles yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, you know, I I enjoy the journey. You, you, you know, yes, the journey is is. Is being able to buy nice presents for the kids, but the journey is also being able to show up to their silly little luncheon on a Wednesday at noon that they invite parents to because technically they're supposed to, but they don't expect any of them to show up. Of course, you know, you know, success. And you're there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I can do that, and and so you know, the journey to me has always been the small stuff. The journey to me has been, you know, when the guy called and said, "Hey, you want to do this Australia gig." You know, knowing that I'm basically going to be gone from this country for about 10 days, you know, being able to go, yeah, let's do that. Let's go to Australia. But being just as much the the tourist as I was the deliverer of, you know, fine Internet information marketing, you know what I mean? And uh, the journey is it. You know, if you die the richest man in the, uh, you know, in the cemetery, that's that's silly.
0: So true, Paul, for so many reasons, and I love how you look at the journey, and it's so valuable for Fire Nation to be understanding that that is what it's all about. It's about the journey, and you've done an amazing job taking us on a journey through your life as an entrepreneur, and I really appreciate that, and I'd love to take this moment to move into the present time, because again, you just have a lot of great things going on in a lot of different areas, but share with us one thing, Paul, that's really exciting you right now.
1: Okay, multicasting. Multicasting. See, here's the thing, John. People are building like ten strategies right now. Yeah, they have a blogging strategy. They have a podcasting strategy. They have a YouTube strategy. They have a Facebook strategy. You know, they're going to some weekend to figure out their their um, uh, pinning strategy. A Pinterest. There we go. You you know, (laughs) we got all these strategies, and 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 you know, they're all fine and dandy, and they all see results. But if you change it to a content strategy, Mm. one content strategy, one, the content becomes the focus, the platform and delivery simply becomes a variable for the content that changes everything. You know, instead of doing a video podcast, do a live broadcast that you record that becomes a video podcast that you dumb down to MP3 that becomes an audio podcast. That you get transcribe that becomes a Kindle single. Wow. That you get made into an article that becomes your blog. You know, and and you can take a single piece of content and you can you can deliver it everywhere if you just spend about five more minutes. You know, you do a video thing. Well, Paul, not all video translates to audio. Exactly. So do video that translates to audio. It's not that complicated. You, you know, and, and Paul, I can't sell a $9.99 Kindle book from an episode. Fine, sell a 99 cent Kindle single. You know, doesn't matter. Um, but the fact of the matter is, one piece of of content that is sent out everywhere—that's the future. And so this changes the whole game. And and by doing that, I'm reaching more. I'm being more effective. I'm more focused. And um, it's it's the future. And I really truly believe it's it's what's going to happen. You know. And it's funny because you um. You you, you know, internet entrepreneurs, you you know, we always talk about you must get your own blog with your own domain name. Last year, I saw Ariana Huffington, and she said something that rocked my world. So simple, but it just rocked my world. And it almost made the piece of business advice here at the beginning. She said, Ubiquity is the new exclusivity. Ubiquity is the new exclusivity. You know, if you take the biggest media types right now, Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, where are they? They're at iTunes, they're at Amazon. They're at YouTube, they're at Facebook, they're at Twitter. And if you go to their websites, you know what they are? They're links to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes. They realize that one destination is ridiculous. Why? Be everywhere. Ubiquity is the new exclusivity. And I think multicasting is the key to it. And it's just really, really exciting.
0: Well, I'm excited, Paul, because I could not agree more. You take just a little time at the beginning to put systems into place, and you can just, like you said, record one thing, and then it turns into so many different things. And people ask me all the time, John, you're crazy. How do you do seven podcasts every single week, one new podcast every single day? It's all about the systems, Paul. And you found your systems at work. I found my systems at work. And that multicasting, I mean, that's just a perfect word for it. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. So Paul, we've now reached my favorite part of the show. We're about The lightning to- round. <laughs> you beat me to it. We're about to enter the lightning round, where I get to provide you with a series of questions and you come back at us, Fire Nation, with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Sound like a plan? Let's do it. All right. What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur?
1: This is the hardest one to answer because nothing, really. It just, it's in my blood. Yes. It's, it's just absolutely who I am. So I want to go back to... um. I, I want to just change that question just slightly sure. to what was holding you back for being a successful entrepreneur. Okay. And what was holding me back was being in a situation where all my decisions were about paying this month's bills. The second I could be an entrepreneur focused on paying next year's bills, everything changed. And sometimes that required that I got a side gig and I don't care, just a tool.
0: Love that. What's the best advice, Paul, you've ever received?
1: Well, I kind of gave it earlier. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. But let me give you a second one. Had a mentor of mine say, Hey, Paul, you have focused so hard on building a business that allows you to write off your toys. He said, Do you realize that if you just spent that same focus on money making, you wouldn't be worried about having to write off all your toys? Ooh, I like it. You know, and I was like, oh man, you're right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and 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 you know, what's what's the highest point of revenue generation? You know, that I can still live with. that. lets me have the life I want to have. Um, everything else just comes from that. You, you know, not only do you able to write off the toys, but if you do it right, a lot of people send them to you for free. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. and there's a whole bunch of things you can do with that. So start to fo- stop focusing on writing off the toys and start to focusing on a business where that just doesn't have to matter anymore.
0: Great insights, Paul. What's something that's working for you right now? This
1: one's going to be controversial. I stopped blogging 18 months ago. Yeah. And here's why I did it blogging 99% of the time is arrogance. Um, this idea that like, if you want me, you have to come to my website to get it. Um, that works in some cases when you're a destination. Um, that's fine, but we aren't destinations and most of us need to get over the fact that we're not a destination. You know, John, your podcast would be nowhere today. If to listen to it, we had to go to entrepreneuronfire.com. Now, you make that, you make that available for goodness sakes. You know, and you definitely do that. But, dude, you're on Stitcher, you're on iTunes, you're on PocketCat, you know, you're everywhere because you don't have this arrogance that you have to come to me to get my stuff. And bloggers do that. And what I realized was, you know, if I want to hit the most people, I go to Facebook. Why? Because there's a billion people there. You know, (laughs) and and they log in every day, many of them multiple times a day. So, what I did was I stopped blogging. Now, oh, well, Paul, what did that do for your blog traffic? Nothing. Nothing. It didn't change it in the slightest. The blog reflected what I was doing elsewhere. It's a concept I call content timelining, but no original content on my blog. Why? Because it's the least populated destination for any of my clients. More go to YouTube, more go to Twitter, more go to Facebook, more go to even G than my blog. And so what I did was I just started there. And by stopping blogging, nothing changed for my traffic. If anything, it went up. I was able to focus, you know, and I'm doing the multicasting now and it's just, it's changing the game radically. And I would just really encourage everybody, you know, why are you blogging? Why are you blogging? And is there a place where it could go first to reach more people? Chances are good, yes.
0: So Paul, I know that you've talked about this very briefly. Take us through really quickly, one more time, what multicasting looks like. Think
1: about the content. Don't think about the platform, okay? When Obama... Does a speech, State of the Union, okay? Some watch it live. Some watch the video. Some listen to the audio broadcast on the radio. Some go to NPR to download the full audio podcast. Some read the transcript. Some read the highlights. Some see the highlights on CNN. Some see the highlights on Fox. Some see read the highlights in The Economist the following week. One event, State of the Union.
0: The Colbert Report.
1: Yeah, the Colbert Report. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't even think about that whole world. And, um, and you know, one piece of content distributed everywhere that's multicasting. And instead of, I I mean, imagine if Obama, you you know, well, I mean, if Obama decided, you know, most people are listening to this in the car, which is probably true. So we're not going to have cameras running. How ridiculous is that? You know, have cameras running, you know, most people aren't going to read the transcript of this. So we're not going to get the transcript done. Oh, how stupid is that? Get the transcript done. And so, multicasting is one piece of content distributed on every single platform possible.
0: Oh, love that. So, Paul, do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you're just in love with that you can share with our listeners?
1: Okay, I'm hoping this one hasn't been given yet. Um, You got to tell me if it has. Just be honest. I will. Well,
0: there has been 253 interviews. So, don't feel too bad.
1: Has anybody talked about drafts yet?
0: Never heard of it. definitely not been.
1: Awesome, awesome. Okay, drafts is the biggest game changer now guys it's iOS only I'm sorry Android people get over it (laughs) get over it drafts makes GTD and I don't know you discussed that I'm sure on previous episodes drafts makes GTD possible in the connected device age and basically what it is is it's a program there's an iPhone version and there's an an iPad version and they're different versions and you know get over the price like $3.99 or something and and what it is, it's a means to quickly dump the brain. You know, 1 p.m. next Tuesday, record episode with John. Yeah. You know, next Thursday, 5 p.m., you know, pick kids up at airport. That's timing. You know, don't forget to adjust the website, you know, for the day this thing goes live. That's a to-do list. You know, um, I just listened to a podcast where they mentioned a new book. That's uh, on my reading list. And, and what you do with drafts is you just you just dump all the stuff in. Every time you run the app, it gives you a blank screen. So it, it, it's a new draft. It's a new piece. It ties in with Siri if you want to do the voice-controlled stuff. And so what you do throughout the day is the stuff comes in, you just dump it to drafts, dump it to drafts, dump it to drafts. Now, most people go, well, Paul, there's a ton of note-taking programs. That's, that's the point of drafts. Is that inside of drafts, there's all these actions. You have one draft that was a schedule, send it to calendar. You have one draft that's a to-do thing, send it to, I happen to use OmniFocus, but there's a bunch of to-do managers. you know. And everything in there, you can send to different programs. And then so it becomes this command center. So the whole getting things done process of managing your inbox, you can do with your connected device. So once a week, I go through my drafts. There's usually 50 or 60 of them. Pound, 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 send this out. Do this, add this, do that, do that. And it's done. And it's absolutely beautiful. It is the biggest game changer for me um, since connected email. I mean, it's it's just, it's (laughs) tremendous.
0: Wow. Well, Fire Nation, you can get the links to this resource and everything that we mentioned in today's episode by going to entrepreneuronfire.com slash Paul Colligan.
1: And make sure to link to... um. Uh, again, there's an iPhone and an iPad version, and they, they work great in, um, in um, I don't know what the right term is, uh, working with each other, so link to both.
0: Perfect. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, Paul, what would it be?
1: I bet you 99% of your audience has read The E-Myth. Yes. 1% of you haven't. That's my recommendation. Uh, trust us on this one. Um, I did an event. I did actually, uh, uh, actually podcast uh, World or whatever that event was, eight or nine years ago. And, you know, I, I got up in front of everybody and I said, Hey, I got this book about podcasting. It'll change the way you guys think about podcasting. And everybody's like, really? And I had all these quotes and everybody's like, Oh my goodness, this guy understands us. This guy understands us. And then at the end of the presentation, I go, Oh yeah, by the way, the book was written 10 years before they invented podcasting. They're just these universal truths. So pick up a myth revisited, um, um, by far. And, and I know you can, you can get that through audible and, and the great thing that they're doing with your show for the, um, 1% of you. Or for the ninety nine percent of you who haven't read it yet, there is a new book by Mitch Joel called Control Alt Delete.
0: Yes, just had Mitch on the show.
1: Oh man! Wow! Wow! Good. Wow! This is one of those. This is one of those painful books where, like, you read a chapter and, like, your your brain starts to bleed, you, you know, and you are like a must <laughs> get air. And um, it, it's going to take you a while to get through because of the implications of it. Right. But it is. Um, It is it is amazing, and um, I'm still I'm only about halfway through it because it's got to go slow, and it's one of those books that just belongs on the shelf, and um, so that'd be the one I recommend for anybody who has already read E Myth. And actually, no, here's my recommendation: number one, read E Myth for the first time. Okay. Recommendation number two, read E Myth for the second time. And then number three would be Mitch Joel's
0: control. <laughs> oh, great stuff. I can still remember where I was when I read the first chapter of the E-Myth. I really <laughs> can. It was that impactful. So you're right, Paul. Fire Nation loves audio. They can get the audio version of either of these books for free by going to eofirebook.com. It's a gift from Audible for Entrepreneur and Fire listeners, eofirebook.com. So, Paul, this next question's my favorite. It's kind of tricky, so take your time, digest it, and come back at us with an answer. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new world, identical to Earth, but you knew no one. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have, your food and shelter is taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days?
1: I love these types of questions because they're, they're good for both sides. Everybody's like, all right, what would Paul do? This would be interesting. Uh, but it's, it's a good reboot for yourself. Um, it's a good reboot to go, okay, knowing what I know, what, what would I do a little bit differently? So, um, I, I spent a few minutes on this one. I think cool. it'll be fun. Um, day one, keyword research. Find one of my passions that, un- that is underserved. Not that hard to do at all. Look up Google keyword tool inside of Google. Type in your passions. Find out what a lot of people are looking for that's underserved. And it's great because Google will just say, you know, I, I can't remember the exact term. It's like limited or something like that. But basically, if there's a term that a lot of people are looking for, it's underserved. That's where you go. Um, I do that keyword research. That'd be like the before lunch, you know, type of, type of thing. A good cup of strong coffee. Maybe that's the first two dollars.
0: Um, <laughs> all your beverages are covered.
1: Oh, cool. Even better. Um, so then I would do an Amazon order. I would get the best possible video camera setup I could get. I'd spend about 400 bucks on that. All right. That changes on a, on a regular basis. So I, I don't want to recommend one. One of the, one of the beauties of your show is that, you know, hopefully this Evergreen, is stuff baby. that people can listen to. Yeah, exactly. So I would just spend 400 on whatever the best gig is at that pr- particular time. I'd spend about $70 on, a, on the best USB microphone at that time. I would spend about $20 on a logo. And I would spend about ten dollars on a domain. Now, unlike most, I would not send that, you know, at least in the next seven days to my original website because sending people to a website that nobody knows about, that nobody cares about, is is just it's arrogance, really. And um, so I I so I do my keyword research. I'd make the Amazon order, you know, I'd be to the point to where they'd ship that to me pretty quickly. I'd pay the um, you know next day, if not two day, depending on how much I had left. Um, from that on, day two to day seven. Um, daily, twice daily, I would start doing trainings on Google Hangouts on air about that topic with my, uh, good video camera rig and my good USB microphone. I would start doing those, those on a regular basis. Everybody's, you know, Paul, well, you know, who would show up to them? Well, on day one, obviously nobody, but you know, just like you (laughs) said, John, evergreen baby. Um, I would produce a series of Kindle singles from each one of those webcasts, um, who would download them days two to seven, really nobody. Uh, but start that process. I would use it to build my list. And then eventually, probably at the end of the seven days, I'd have enough content for a Udemy course, a U-D-E-M-Y dot com, oh, sort yeah. of an app store for, for content. And um, I'd be participating throughout in all the communities regarded to my topic. And it wouldn't be the buy my course, buy my webcast, buy my anything. I would just generally participate as much from a uh, market research standpoint as a sharing my name standpoint. Uh, But um, we'd go from there. One hack right now, and at least at the time of this recording, and it's it's June 2013, I'm sure Google will be changing this. Um, But right now, Google does not list uh, viewer counts on Hangouts on air recordings. Um, There are some good reasons for that. And there's there's some good implications of that. There's some bad implications of that. Um, people who have no audience love the fact that, you know, YouTube is not sharing the fact that they have no audience, but the fact of the matter is if you're going to succeed, you have to have an audience. Um, you need the social proof and you need the social proof to keep you honest. So what you do is after your hangout on air is done, uh, go into YouTube, download it, uh, re, uh, delete it and then re upload it in such a way that YouTube can give you the count that'll keep everybody honest and go from there. But that's what I would do uh, at least in the first seven days.
0: Paul, that was an amazing answer to that question. Thank you for taking the time to really sit down and give a well-thought-out, structured answer. I know that pens across the world are scribbling yes. furiously as they're keeping up, but the beautiful thing is they're just hitting that rewind 30 seconds and hearing your voice over and over again until they get it all down, they get it all right. So, powerful stuff.
1: Let me give a hack for entrepreneurs. Yeah. The, best, the best way to learn something is to teach it. Yep. Even if nobody listens to your show... Even if nobody watches your, you know, broadcast, just the fact that you had to teach it, you will get to know it better and you will become an expert at it. And um, you, you know what you know, John, about entrepreneurs. Just on these 200 some odd episodes is is amazing. It's just better than what they're giving you in college these days, and it's better than what you're getting elsewhere. And just um, um, teach this stuff; you will become an expert in it. I just, I mean, it's it's that human nature of oh my god, somebody's listening to me. I better get this right. <laughs> and um, you know, you know, do that. It's it's just it's a really good practice. I think everybody you know should go through this this question. And, and you know, no matter where you're at, what would you do? And then when you realize the gaps in. in and what you don't know that you would do, that that would be almost the uh, the exercise to see your own entrepreneurial journey through.
0: Oh, Paul, well, due to time constraints, we're going to use that as your parting piece of guidance, which was amazing. So share now how we can find you, and then we'll say goodbye.
1: Ha <laughs> Now, after I said this bit about not blogging, um, I'm going to send you to <laughs> www.paulcolligan.com, which is not my blog. It's my content timeline, yeah, and you'll yeah. have to find out what the difference is there. But I will tell you this paulcolligan.com slash Facebook will get you to my Facebook page. paulcolligan.com slash YouTube will get you YouTube. You can guess all the other slashes that will lead you to all the other places as well. If I had one choice, honestly, follow me as a Facebook fan right now. Why? There's a billion of you there.
0: Billion. Love it. Paul, thank you for being so generous with your time, your expertise, and your experience. Fire Nation salutes you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Done. And now let's give it up for our five star reviews Nurse with Three, Sea Ghostwriter, Ricky Bobby 83, Caden Case 4, Brian Knowlton, Nick Loper, Moments with Moxie, Mouse Money Funds, Todd Fark, Allie Rittenhouse, and Black Love Rules. Thank you so much for supporting Entrepreneur on Fire, and I look forward to thanking everybody who does the same.
1: Thank you for joining us at EntrepreneurOnFire.com. Your daily dose of inspiration. Prepare to ignite.